Episode 201, let's have some fun. Oh my god, I knew that was dorky when it was coming out. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast, your home for amazing, very real stories about phenomenal businesswomen in all sorts of different industries over all sorts of different parts of the world who are here to share the real stories of how they've grown their businesses so that you can take some practical ideas and go implement them in your business. Now, if you're just starting your business, there's an amazing resource that you can tap into. It's called How to Launch Your Brand Online. It is an ebook that I created just for you. If you want to make sure that your business is represented very well and very effectively in the online space, including on a website, uh, on a blog, on social media, then being able to follow these very simple steps to be able to build up a customer base that is dying for exactly what you got That's what this book is all about. Go find out more at bizwomenrock.com. Andrea Waltz is my guest today, and she is the co-founder of a company called Go For No. Believe it or not, she and her husband train uh, and are professional keynote speakers uh, for many different big-name corporations on the topic of Go For No, um, how to kind of reposition your whole mentality and attitude towards no so that you can actually make sales and move forward in your business. But to be honest with you, we actually barely go into that topic because that's a topic she gets interviewed on a ton of times. So if you want to hear more about her expertise, just go look up her name and you will hear tons of interviews about uh, hearing no and reframing your mind with no for your business. What we talk about is Andrea's journey because she's had a fascinating one and what it's taken to really build up a successful speaking career um, and how, you know, at a certain point in her business with she and her husband, they completely shifted their entire paradigm of what they were focusing on. And there were some really great things and some really uh, challenging things that happened in that moment, but where it's taken them since then. She and her husband have also um, authored many books. I mean, a whole handful of different books. One in particular, Go For No, uh, has just shy of 700 reviews on Amazon. So, uh, And she really talks about their content creation strategy and their marketing strategy behind getting their books out there. And so interesting, and we make sure to talk about this at the very end, is the fact that Andrea is kind of a monster on social media, man. And I mean that in a good way. She has tens of thousands of followers. She's got, I think, over 18,000 followers on Twitter, and her business page has over 20,000 likes on it. And uh, I really ask her about how she engages her audience, and she's got some great, very practical tips on how to approach um, your social media so that you're um, you're setting yourself up for success so that you can actually get your people engaged, which I thought was very wonderful. Okay, let's get into it with Andrea. Andrea, what's going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the Biz Women Rock podcast. I appreciate you being here. I am so glad to be with you, Katie. Absolutely. We are so uh, excited and like giddy little girls because we just found out that we're like an hour away from each other. 
<laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so rare that I'm actually speaking to anyone who's local for me. And uh, you are in Orlando, and I'm in Tampa. So woohoo! We could have met for coffee for real, man. This would have been nice instead of a virtual coffee chat. <laughs> I know we actually could have done a, a live in person <sighs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, foregoing that, I want to go ahead and jump right into your business story because I got to admit I was really fascinated when I was doing my research about you uh, and really there are a lot of people who claim that they're speakers and that they have books but like you are a speaker and you have books and you and your husband have produced a really powerful brand that really has a substantial following online and all sorts of different social media venues so I'm really curious as to how you guys have done that sort of what's behind the curtains of that so let's start off first with how how you even really got into the entrepreneurial space like what kind of stuff were you doing before you started go for no like what did that look like Yeah, um, it's a great question. Great way to start it off. Well, I was working as um, a general manager for Lens Crafters. Richard was one of the training directors for the company. We met and we had the same philosophies in terms of customer service, sales, management, the things that we liked to teach um, and train when we were, were doing those type of things. And so we had a lot of the same philosophies. And he told me that there were actually people out there who got hired in as consultants and outside speakers and trainers who were very, very well paid, and that we could leave our job at Lens Crafters and be one of those outside people. And I had no clue about any of that. I was <laughs> 24. I, I had just graduated college with a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice. Um, and uh, we were not even together as a couple. We had just started becoming and talking about these things at Lens Crafters. And so he's telling me all of these things. And I said, wow, that sounds really interesting. You know what? I'm in. I'll do it because I believed in him and uh, he was a great speaker, a great trainer. And I, I knew that we would be, I just had a wild optimism, I guess. And so, and, and luckily very naive. Um, <laughs> so eventually we, we quit our jobs. I quit my job first and bought a fax machine, um, signed up for AOL, did the whole thing. This is back in the dinosaur ages. So very, very new. And we, we launched our business as speakers and trainers, specifically for the retail industry. Um, we had no we had no idea what we were doing. We had no brochures. We had no business cards. Everything that we did was, was by ourselves completely bootstrapping, just literally failing our way to success every day. And um, we've been doing that now for going on, um, well, I guess it's been like 16 years now. Wow. Okay. So apparently it's stuck. Apparently you kind of figured it out. <laughs> Um, so I'm you fit out. <laughs> you're kind of forced to. Um, your your husband sounds like a dreamer, just like my husband. I think that that was kind of the, we started off kind of as friends, and he started talking big things, and I was like, yeah, of course. I've thought with, that we could like go off and you know rule the world too in fun ways, and like uh, it totally hooked hooked me on him. So, I, random total question: At what point did you guys actually get together as a couple in this whole pro- process? Ah, well, we were pretty fond of each other from the get-go, but um, and that's like a whole other podcast. We need to do two podcasts. But yeah, eventually, um, after a couple years, um, we knew we were wanted to be a couple. So after we left the Lenscrafters, which was a whole debacle in and of itself because we were violating different human resource laws. Oh, boy. Um, uh, you know, we, we left, and then eventually we ran off to Las Vegas and got married, and I decided to keep my, my last 
last name because from a marketing perspective, when we first started our business, um, for the first like seven years, Richard did all of the speaking. He was he was oh. the speaker, the trainer of the of the two of us, and so I would do all the sales calls. I would do all the travel. Well, it's funny, I still do all of that, but um, I was really marketing him. So it kind of we didn't want it to be you know where I was clearly his wife with the same last name and all of that. We wanted to keep it professional. So, gotcha. um, but in 2007, when we kind of transitioned our business um, into a real specific niche topic, we decided that um, I, I'm super passionate about the topic. So we decided let's let's speak together. And so now we that we transitioned about seven years ago to where we do all together on stage. Wow. So we're going to get into that in just a second. But I I want to ask the question because there are a lot of women who want like their dream is to be up on stage and to go speak how I mean you guys kind of had insider information because you knew that there were corporations that were hiring for this but how did you actually make that happen like what kind of calls were you making what did those what did that sales pitch sound like how did what kind of stuff did you have to have ready in order to actually secure a deal yeah, that's a great question. Well, you have to be very clear on what you're offering, but also just gather the intelligence. So the first thing we did was we knew who our market was. We identified our target market, and that is really important. You've got to be clear on that because you can sit down at your desk and be like, who do I call? Well, there's like six million businesses, right, who could maybe hire me to speak. So who who do you want to call? For us at the time, it was we wanted to, we had we specialized in retail. I mean, both Richard and I understood the retail environment. We understood the business. That was our that was our expertise everything that we taught so our um, goal was even not to speak for mom and pop retailers we decided we wanted to speak for you know the large corporations that we knew because our um, the the business that we worked for lens crafters we saw that they brought in people so we went after companies that you would see in the shopping mall I mean JC Penney right. um, Lerner New you know New York and Company Victoria's Secret I mean anybody that you'd see that was our client so we got um, and this again I mean this is early early internet but we did research online and we figured out okay let's get the telephone number we called and it was a painstaking process I mean to call the company and say who handles your training? Right. Who do you guys bring in speakers? If you do bring in speakers, um, you know, what kind of speakers are you looking for? Do you have an annual sales conference? If so, when? And just gathered, gathered, gathered all that, that intelligence. And then once we got that information said, and if it was a yes, yes, yes all along the way, it was, okay, great, can we send you some information? Can we be considered? And luckily, we were often considered and got hired um, because we had a specialty, because we were in the niche. We spoke the language. And so I think it's really important for everyone listening to be very clear so that when you call somebody, it's kind of like, well, why should I hire you? Well, here's why, because I understand your audience. I have been there or this topic fits them so well, they will love this topic. I find that so interesting. And, uh, and I think that that's the first time I've actually ever heard it. Like on a sales call, you're not sitting there and starting with a pitch. You're really just asking for information and being kind of passed along to the people who can answer that the, all those questions. And you're not even pitching yourself until you actually gather all the information. That's really, it's very, very smart. Oh, absolutely. And the key really is um, you save a lot of time that way because, I mean, you could call and um, spend 10 minutes 
kind of schmoozing someone and pitching yourself. But the reality is if a company or any business just does not high, especially in this particular for, for speaking, other things are different. You know, sometimes you can convince a business to, let's say, um, advertise on a billboard where up till now maybe they hadn't, right? right? You can maybe say, hey, you know, you really need to think about this, blah, blah, blah. Well, for most companies, if they're not having sales meetings, if they're not flying people in, getting people together, um, and so you ask, hey, do you have a meeting? Do you bring in speakers? If the answers to those two questions are no, I'm not, I don't have time to sit there and convince them that that's what they need to do. Right. So the best use of my time is to say, okay, great, and move on. And then, hey, try them next, maybe try them next year and, and see if maybe that's changed, but not to sit there and pitch them all day long when they're not even doing it. Hmm. So how many... Generally speaking, and this might be a different answer for now in your business versus back then, but generally speaking, how many clients do you guys, or like how many speaking gigs do you have to have in a year's time, let's say, to really, you know, be happy with where business is going? That's a great question. Well, it is different these days. These days, we probably speak mm, 10, 20 25 times a year. It really depends. Okay. Um, we do a lot more writing now. Back when we were doing more training, and there's a lot of nuances to the speaking training industry, but back then we were, we were doing a lot of training. So we were doing a lot of workshops, and sometimes we would do multiple workshops for, re- for different regions. A company might have, um, and a lot of companies who do sales training do this. You know, they'll bring together maybe four different groups around the country, different times, different places. So um, on the busy, busy years, um, you know, maybe 40, 50 times on the busy years, but there are speakers out there who speak 100, 150 times a year. We don't, we were never interested in that lifestyle. Right. And um, part of the transitioning to the Go For No brand, which we did in part was Go For No really helped us live the lifestyle that we wanted, which was we really wanted to be keynote, big stage speakers, not do real small sales training groups, really share the philosophy, and then sell the books and the products on the back end. So we kind of looked at our business along the way and said, okay, do we want to keep doing training or do we want to move into and kind of morph it differently? And that's what we did. So once you actually transition from kind of this generalized, hey, we, we can do training and speaking, for retail. And now you were like, no, this is kind of our topic. And this is what we can talk about. And now I would imagine like your market expanded after that, right? Because you could do keynotes, but they didn't have to be for retail, they could be for larger brands who weren't necessarily retail, right? Yeah, it expanded and also um, went down. <laughs> right, right. It was like the the it was like what happened was so we made made this decision and it was we had spent a couple years agonizing over it. We would flip chart incessantly, and Richard is really the visionary of the two of us, and he kind of he's the big picture thinker, and I'm more the the nuts and bolts executioner. I'm I'm usually the one who says no, we can't do that. <laughs> That's not going to work. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm nodding my head because like, I'm the same we, way. Yeah, why, why don't we do this? And here's this grand plan. And I'm like, um, no, no, it's not going to work. Um, <laughs> so I've learned to keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're sitting there and we're like, okay, of the things that we that we would teach retailers, the thing that everyone loved was this idea of go for no. So we said, why don't we, and I loved it, and it was my, it was my favorite message, and it was Richard's favorite message, and we felt that that was the thing that was really changing lives and changing businesses. So we said, okay, let's transition to this. Um, let's stop. But in order to do that, we said we have to stop 
we have to stop branding ourselves marketing to retail organizations where we're just retail-only speakers. Mm-hmm. It will always be a specialty. We'll always have the knowledge, but we've got to just cut the ties. We've got to stop this and turn 180 degrees, face the other direction, and say, okay, what do we need to do to build this other business? So the revenue went, like, way down. It just, like, a, like a nosedive down right. um, because the retail, our clients kind of, got the picture, they got the message, and and really, we had done so much work for the few years that we were doing that. Um, so a lot of the clients that we had, I mean, they, they had gotten everything that we had produced in terms of content multiple times. Um, the people that were not going to hire us because they just didn't hire outsiders um, didn't, you know, they weren't going to hire us anyway. So we kind of almost, it was kind of almost forced thing anyway. It was just time to open up and to build a business bigger. But I had to start from scratch again, like, okay, who hires speakers in insurance and financial Mm -hmm. and all of those things and direct sales um, and network marketing, which is a big niche for us now. But we kind of had to start all over. So that was a real big challenge and, you know, a struggle because you think, wow, this is not easy. Um, but we knew it was the right move. Well, how long did it take you to kind of get your feet under you with the, with the new switch? Uh, and what, what really changed in addition to, okay, kind of your current pipeline was gone and now you had to build up a new one. Like what else changed? Were there kind of were your day-to-day activities a little bit different because now you were, you know, kind of focusing on something else? Like what, what happened in that shift? Well, at that time, it was 2007, and so two big changes. One, social media was starting to come online. I remember, I don't even think I had a Facebook page before I joined Twitter. Um, I was an early adopter of Twitter, and so that was starting to happen. LinkedIn was up and running, and so you ha- I had those things to work with, which, which I didn't previously, um, but also, you know, Business owners, entrepreneurs have to know what their sales cycle is, um, meaning how long does it take before you can close that deal? And so for us, it took at least probably I would say 2010 was kind of the sweet spot where everybody had – um, we had really made a big marketing push for the topic of what we were speaking about, not so much our – our niche industry. We weren't focused on industry. We were focused on topic and getting the message out and sending brochures and packages and making the phone calls and using social media. And so um, it took about three years because that's kind of how long the sales cycle is. It's like you call somebody and they say, yeah, we do hire speakers, but we've got our lineup for the next two years. So, you know, you've got to wait two years before you even have a chance for that particular organization. And as I tell people, you, you've got to be in this for the long haul. It, it's, it always takes longer than you think, especially to build a speaking business. You know, it's one thing to have speaking, I think, as a part of your offerings and to speak locally and to use speaking to build, let's say, coaching clients or to build, um, you know, a, a membership-type group where you, ha- you, know, you have people meet up and do different things, what, whatever your model is. Um, that's one thing. But building the speaking business takes a long time because it takes multiple contacts and years sometimes to have those things pan out. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff do you do in that space? Like what kind of external resources do you rely on or have you learned to rely on throughout the years that helps you kind of build that out either specifically for like your exact business or for you just generally as an entrepreneur that kind of help you continue to work on being better at this whole business thing? 
um, like things that help us um, actually do the marketing process or just um, different resources that we use? I, I guess just like outside, re- I, I, I am thinking specifically of like, do you have mentors who kind of help help you look into something that you can't really see even though it's in front of your face? Do you have, um, you know, like do you go to like, do, are you part of any kind of group that will help you sort of stay focused on the long-term gain, even though it might be a three-year-long process, two to three-year-long process? Like, is there anything that sort of externally really helps you sort of stay focused or kind of help you, helps you grow? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, um, what I recommend to anyone who, whether you are a coach or uh, maybe you're an author, there's all these, um, you know, they, there's there's conferences with all of the top experts in that niche, right? You know, they're the people that tell you how to publish online and how to use Kindle and all of those things. Or there's um, National Speakers Association. So for us at every stage, I mean, we have gotten absorbed and dig into everything that we've ever tried. So, for example, um, we had been members of the National Speakers Association for years and gone to the conferences and joined the local chapter and got involved and went to meetings every month and really studied the business of what it the business of professional speaking. Um, When it comes to writing and publishing, we've attended since day one of our business. We've attended, um, I remember the very first conference we went to was uh, Mark Victor Hansen, who's one of the co-authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He had a a book marketing boot camp that we attended in Orange County, California. Like our, I don't even think we were in business yet. I think we were still actually employed. I mean, we go to these conferences. We, we, study mentors. Um, At one point, we sat down with the marketing expert of a really well-known speaker and picked his brain and learned a ton of a ton of information and confirmed a lot of what we thought. um, But which was kind of nice. Sometimes you just have to confirm that what you believe is true is true (laughs) from someone else. Um, Just to to know, like, when you sit in your office alone, you go like, am I crazy? Or (laughs) is this the way? (laughs) Okay, wait, somebody else thinks that this is actually okay. That's great. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank God. Good to know. I can move on. Yes. Um, Those things are so important to reach out and to get involved in those things. And yes, there's a, there's a, time expense and a money expense and I think there's a fine line also because you can you can become someone and and we've gotten close to this where you go to so many conferences and so many things you're just so overwhelmed because you all of a sudden you're like oh I need to do video and I need to have a newsletter and I need to do this and I don't have time to do any of it and your head can start spinning so you've got to make sure that you don't make yourself crazy but going to those special things where those experts are there, it will save you a lot of time and heartache. So absolutely, we have, we have done all of that and continue to study great marketers like Dan Kennedy is somebody that we study mm-hmm. um, because even his examples apply to things that are totally outside of what he's talking, you know, the industries that he might be talking to, but they can apply to anyone. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, you've mentioned it a few times now, and I really want to use this opportunity to highlight it. You and your husband have written like a slew of books. I mean, you guys are content creators like mad people. That's what I have to say. And it's not just, um, I mean, first and foremost, you, you wrote the book, um, go, uh, go for no, which in and of itself has just shy of 700 reviews on Amazon. And that is a huge number, by the way. 
So, um, I mean, it's hard to get 10 reviews on any particular book on Amazon. So getting almost 700 is a big deal. Um, and you continue, you've produced, um, you have like a whole, I, I think it's a fiction book series, the Onyx Web. Is that fiction? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you mm-hmm. have yeah, mil- Million Dollar Year, which is another fictional story, which is uh, really cool. Uh, the Fear Factor, What Would Lincoln Say, Unlocking the Secrets of Retail Magic. I mean, you have so many different books. So throughout all of this, and, and these are books that you uh, provide as like resources to people in your training so that you've got a great back end to be able to offer people. Um, what what have you discovered is a successful process for, for you and your husband, because you guys both write these, uh, to be able to produce really high quality content and to be able to market it successfully? Well, we decided early on, the very first book we wrote was called Unlocking the Secrets of Retail Magic, going back to the retail niche. And we knew that those, we knew that retailers in general, whether it's a store manager or an executive with the company, don't have a lot of time to read a big book. So, um, we, and, and even our fictional series is a ridiculously long, going to be a three-year series, but the actual books are fairly small. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the, at the time, we said, okay, let's write something that's small, that's relatively inexpensive, it's an easy decision. And what our goal was from the beginning was to sell multiple copies. We didn't want to sell one book to one person. We wanted to sell 100 copies to the vice president of stores of the limited or 1,000 copies. And so that worked really well. We had a great success with that book, but even before Amazon was even around, I mean, we sold those books by giving away free copies. We'd send copies to decision makers at the companies that we wanted to buy them. And oftentimes we'd have a little fax back order sheet because again, <laughs> this is offline. <laughs> um, a little pigeon would fly it back. Um, and that was how we got orders. So we would get orders for 100 books or 500 books because it was small, it was simple, it was a fable, and it was very niched into into that industry. So when we wrote Go For No in, actually, we wrote it in 2000, um, we wrote it and we had the same model. It's 80 pages, very simple, one concept. We didn't attempt to say like, okay, we're going to tackle the 12 step- steps of the selling process. We said, let's just take this one idea of helping people overcome fear of failure and rejection, which is kind of our signature thing. Um, it's a thing that we would teach in all of the all of the speaking and training that we would do, and it's what everyone loved. So we kind of blew that up into this little fable, and by keeping it small and by keeping it relatively small, relatively simple, relatively inexpensive. I think that's kind of been our secret and our model of how, you know, how we can create a high-quality product um, in a relatively short period of time. And then I think our other secret has been we have been completely persistent and never strayed from trying to get go for no to sell a million copies. It's taken us 15 years to get to those those 700 reviews and I guess technically it's taken 7 years because we got on Amazon in 2007 and just um we have uh, you know we have given away thousands and thousands of copies of right. the book over the years to people that influence that's another secret so um I think for most people Katie what I see is that they write a book they spend a ton of time on this huge launch and then after the launch it just kind of fades and then they move yeah, and then they move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's not good. Got it. So um, I, I am interested in this, obviously, personally, because I work with my husband in one of our businesses. How do you and your husband work together? What's kind of the structure that you guys have found works for you over all these years? 
Well, let me say it started off kind of badly. <laughs> uh-huh. It was, it, there were some tears and painful experiences because when we started, uh, he, he had had um, a consulting kind of a, a training business um, years before um, he got back in the corporate world. So he, had a, he was clued into much more than I was of the world of business, entrepreneurship, everything else. I had no idea what I was doing. So oftentimes we would just get in these, we would just have horrible conversations because I would just not have the business sense. Um, so luckily that has since passed and he doesn't have to worry about me. Um, but literally, I mean, he was my mentor at the beginning, which caused problems in and of itself. So I, Barring that, though, I think the biggest challenge is always who's in control and who has final say. I mean, that's always the thing. And, and the other thing is he really had loved to control everything. What color was this going to be? How was this going to be designed? And so we were both working our butts off all the time, constantly, because we were both, we had our hands in everything. I mean, it's, we both knew what, what was going on in with every aspect, no one had, you know, no one could just say, oh, good, I don't have to deal with this. Right. That's probably the biggest thing we've learned is separation of power is kind of like, he doesn't worry about X, Y, Z. He knows I've taken care, care of it. If there's some kind of crisis, eventually I come to him and go like, hey, remember that thing I was supposed to do? Well, <laughs> here's what's happened. I, now I need your help. But, um, and I, he, he kind of, he writes our, all of our first drafts. He's really the He's really the um, instigator of all of the writing. He, he does all of that to, to kick us off and then gives me the main draft. So we found a great way to work together back and forth, but it's that giving up of control. And one of the realizations he had, luckily, one day was he, I said, hey, I'm going to send this letter out to the vice president of sales at this company. Can you read it? So we read it. He sat down. He spent a half an hour like changing it up and making all these fixes. And he's like, okay, here you go. And then he said, you know, I don't know if the letter is any better. He said, it's just different. It's just my version. It's just how I would do it. He said, I think I just have to stop getting involved in your letters. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we realized in that moment that it's not necessarily better. It's just different. And that we have to just trust both. We each have to trust each other that, hey, let the other person do it. And, you know, you don't have to be involved in everything. Yeah. Uh, that's such a great point and so, so important, I think, when any any partners of any kind, but especially when husband and wife or spouses are working together. And you have a, we, my husband and I have a very similar story. By the time he and I went into business, he had already been an entrepreneur since he was like five years old, good God. And, um, and I was late to the game. So I was like, uh, just so ignorant on so many things. And he, uh, there was sort of this constant balance of like, he might, you know, lose his patience and I might lose my patience. He's losing his patience for my ignorance. I'm losing my patience for, you know, his inability to see X, Y, and Z. And it took a lot, Mm -hmm. it took a long time for us to evolve into me actually kind of having to step up and totally take leadership and not have to breathe stuff by him and him not needing to 
correct me or not needing to check things to the point where like, you know, there's exact same thing. Like these are the things that I'm in charge of and I'm actually really great at them and better Mm -hmm. than he is. And these are the things that he's in charge of and he's better at them them than I am. So, you know, and Mm -hmm. then we kind of call each other into meetings if we need like, hey, I really need some feedback on this. I really need this to be great. So I just really need you to kind of like overlook it real quick or what do you think or, you know, but for the most part, we both have really – you know, like interdependence as far as like what we're sort of in charge of. And I think that that every, every person I've ever talked to on the show who works with their spouse, that has been foundational, like find out what, what areas you each are working on, and then trust the other person and go do your stuff, you know? Exactly. Yes. Yes. That dynamic that you shared was exactly mine. So I yeah, Uh (laughs) can relate. And lots of tears. Yes. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, I remember a lot of that. (laughs) Thank God we're past all that. Um, Right. So um, in all of this, I mean, it sounds, uh, you know, it sounds you have definitely over all of these years and spent a lot of time into just continuing to develop and continuing to develop and continuing to evolve. What has been like just a moment? I'm sure that there's been many of them, but maybe one moment that you have that's top of mind that was just really, really tough for you. And maybe just like one of your down moments that you didn't know if you could get through, but you actually did. And how did you do it? Oh my gosh, that is a great question. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, I think one of the times was um, when we wrote Go For No, and we (laughs) bootstrapped because it was early on, and Richard fancies himself as, and I love him, I love him, (laughs) but he fancies himself as a a, um, desktop publisher. He loves design. And I, I'm, he's like a frustrated Steve Jobs that doesn't, you know, <laughs> can't actually go in and, and design products and design things. So he designed our book cover, and we laugh about it now, but it was really just the most boring kind of horrible book cover ever. It was a oh, red no. cover with black letters that said go for no, and the go for no actually had shading, and we did it on our on in Word, in my, like Microsoft Word, oh, no. you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and... So we send it off to the printer, and we get the books back, and they're 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 fine. But I mean, it's nothing like it's it's not perf- you know it's not really professional. Right. And so we sent out 500 cop- review copies, and we're thinking, you know, this book is really good. There's something we have something here. We sent out 500 re- review copies to decision makers. And in the past, with Retail Magic, you know, whenever we did that, we did really good. So we thought, okay, we'll get a good response. Well, we got one order, I think, for 50 copies, and everything else was crickets. Oh, no. <clears throat> and I think we got, one le- we, got, we got one letter back from an organization that I will not name, um, who actually has many people in the organization who have since read the book. And they said, we got the book. Thank you for sending it. It's really not something that we're interested in. So we got a no, which is funny for the go-for-no people to get discouraged about That's getting fun. a no. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were kind of like, uh, maybe we maybe this isn't the thing. And, and so we really struggled for three or four years. And um, my marketing efforts to market just Richard with the go-for-no, with the go-for-no message went nowhere. I mean, it just, it was really difficult. Um, we had no one interested. I was constantly changing up the brochure and trying different taglines and um it just did not resonate um it just for a couple years and so yeah it was a low low moment and we just kind of um kept 
plodding along and um, trying different things. But yeah, every now and then it's funny. Just sometimes you just get overwhelmed with what you believe that what you know you're capable of and um, what the results are and what you kind of envision that the results could have been. So there's many, many, many other low moments, but um, I do remember after sending that out and, and, and getting that letter back and just being like, oh, so, so low. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and really ha- trying to move through that was just, well, you know, we've got this book and one no is not going to spell the difference between success and failure, this one company, this one person. So right. let's just move on. Um, but we rely on each other a lot. And I think that's why if, people out there are by themselves if they're if they're solopreneurs so to speak getting into mastermind groups or you know having some people on your side who can pick you up when you have those moments because still i mean we're human we have them all the time you know you just something happens and you're just like huh um you know (laughs) i need things to go easily yeah (laughs) i need them to go smoothly um (laughs) and they don't they don't they never do it i always say it always takes longer than you think i always try to plan six sixty five percent of to what i want things you know to happen so if i want something to happen in six weeks i always say okay we gotta we gotta take that and boost that up to it's going to take nine weeks or it's going to take 12 weeks because things happen challenges happen technology i find technology challenges are always getting in my way so you know you just have to bounce back from all that um, I want to end this because I want to make sure not to forget talking about this because I always thought I think it's so amazing and unique to you. Um, so I want to end this conversation about your strategies on social media. You have a huge following on Twitter. I think you have over what eighteen, nineteen thousand people on Twitter, and on your Facebook page you have over twenty thousand people, and you're very active on both. So, what are some of the strategies that you have found throughout these years that really work for you to get engagement on both of those platforms? Well, I spend a lot of time. Uh, I spend a lot of time, and one of the things is um, I, for example, Katie, our marketing assistant, um, will create the memes for me, which are, you know, the little graphics with quotes and things, Mm -hmm. and I try to really um, have fun with our brand, and I I didn't originally. I I think I coming from kind of a corporate background and not wanting to, um, you know, wanting to take ourselves a little too seriously, I started then to have fun with the brand and to take our message and then to see, okay, how how could we just have fun with this? So one day, um, I think maybe somebody said this to me online or something, and I heard somebody said, uh, motivation instead of motivation, and I thought, oh my gosh, of course it's motivation. So everything that I do becomes it became no, doing motivation. So helping people, mm. you know, um, be positive instead of the typical motivation. Use motivation, and and to so to do things that engage people. But with Twitter, for example, when I first um, joined, and and I did, I was an early adopter, so I did get in real real early, which I just think is part of part of that, but it's really, um, I'm on it a lot. I'm mm-hmm. on it at the post office. I'm, if I'm waiting in line, I'm at it on the, in the grocery store, and I try to just engage people by replying, retweeting. I have a, pra- I have a practice, which I've 
done for years, which is just kind of in my own head. Send out three original tweets a day in, of content of, of something. Make at least one of them businessy, like something maybe about myself or go for no. Make something funny. And then five retweets, engage with three people, um, just rules of activity that if you do those little things every day, um, you end up after a while with you know meeting a lot of people online, having a lot of great conversations, and having other people share about you, not just you always sharing about you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does take it does take time, but but not a lot if you do focus on on here's what I'm going to do: three tweets, three retweets, you know, five um, replies whatever just set something up and do that and then you're done love it really really love that well andrea i want to thank you so much for sharing your story here on the biz women rock podcast it was truly a pleasure thank you so much it was fun great tips that I got from this conversation and I'm just going to bullet point them here. Ready? There's there's quite a few of them. Number one, I love that she asked questions when she was making sales calls. So instead of focusing on giving the pitch right away and just hoping to get hoping that that pitch will convince this person who will bring it on to the next person. She just asked a slew of questions, of qualifying questions to make sure that she was actually speaking to the right person. And this was actually, you know, the topic was something that they are interested in and it's, you know, that they bring speakers in and just making sure it was a good fit before she even pitched. It was such a great example of um, just question asking and getting down to it before you even put yourself out there so that you could be efficient with your time. Um, I loved her experience about the shift that she made in her niche. I thought it was, um, as far as like shifting the whole paradigm of how her business is run. So instead of now generally doing speaking and training for, uh, the retail industry, she now could go for any industry, but it was a very niche topic. And that's an entirely different paradigm shift for her and her husband. And I love that she talked about the realities of that, the good and the bad. All of a sudden it really cut off one pipeline and now she had to kind of start from scratch to build another. Um, She talked about educating herself and making sure that she was being involved at conferences. And I love that conversation. I'm a huge believer in just continuing to educate yourself. Um, And then this was something really small that I thought was really brilliant. But her goal for her books was always to sell multiple copies to one buyer. So uh, from the get-go, she was very clear that she wanted to be able to have, you know, company X buy 500 of these books and, and kind of structured her marketing that way. Um, and then, of course, the social media strategy was great. How practical and how real was that? You know, X amount of tweets per day, you know, uh, fresh, you know, authentic content per day um, and, uh, you know, X amount of replies, X amount of retweets per day. Just something that when you get in the habit of it, it just starts, it it just, you know, kind of pushes everything forward and allows more and more stuff to happen on your social media. I really, really like that. Hope you got a lot out of this. And my number one concern is always making sure that you can take something from this very practically and implement it into your business. So challenge yourself with that. Just take one of the best takeaways from this because there was a lot. Take one of the best ones that really connected with you and go implement it in your business. And I would love to hear the results. So make sure you go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 201. That's where this interview is. And just comment below about what you really got out of it and what you've implemented and how that's worked for you. I hope you have an awesome day and I can't wait to see you on the next episode.